Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Code Three Twenty One podcast. I'm joined by a very special guest today, Luke Jackson. Sir, hello, Luke. Hey, how's it going? I'm um, sorry I had to chase you all the way to Maine to get you on the show. Hey, whatever works. I know, right? Um, and we're actually recording from the Maine Life Flight Base in Auburn. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. That's pretty easy pronunciation of Auburn, so yeah, make sure you got it. Um, anyway, so I wanted to have you on the show today because. I think you've had a really interesting EMS career and we have a lot of people that are looking to progress upwards in their EMS journey. And some people might want to end up in medical school. We talked about that last week with the um, EMS residents talking about their EM experience through medical school. Um, Other people might really enjoy the EMS path. Um, And then we do have people that are going from EMS into nursing and you have some experience there. So if you don't mind, um, you want to talk a little bit about just how did you first get started EMS? You know, what was your first exposure to it? And then kind of what drew you in um, and got you interested in pursuing it? Yeah, I think it was kind of a roundabout way of getting involved. I was living in Essex Junction at the time, joined the volunteer fire department there back in 2004. um, And really just kind of really got involved with the group atmosphere, the group mentality, um, ended up getting involved in first response, uh, with, with the fire department as well. And that kind of got me into the EMS side of things. And once, once that bug bit, it was pretty much over. Uh, so I kind of left the fire side behind, which had, I had mixed feelings about, but, uh, you know, EMS, EMS is where I ended up finding my passion. So that's how I got involved in that. Yeah. Did, did you ever work on Essex Rescue? Yeah, I was on Essex Rescue for a number of years, uh, both as a volunteer and then as a later as a paid um, per diem staff. Too. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And you were Essex, Colchester, Richmond. Richmond, Milton. Yeah. You're kind of the true District 3 baby. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, the, and the emergency department. Yeah, too. right. Yeah. As Kate Sims would say, District yeah. 3 baby. So, yeah. And you went to IREMS for your courses? Yeah, I did my EMT through IRAMS. Uh, my advanced EMT I did up at uh, Northwest Hospital um, through District 1. And then uh, my paramedic program I did through um, National Medical Education Training Center, which is down in uh, West Bridgewater, Mass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was before. Well, I was in between uh, Vermont Tech's holding of, of paramedic classes. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. yeah. Just in between, right? In the Just window. in between. Yeah. And was that a in-person? Was that mixed? That was, was a hybrid. So we did um, all of our classwork was online. And then we uh, would go down for lab days, lab weekends. And then we had um, kind of a boot camp at the end of a two-week uh, in-person lab simulation um, course set up. So it was, it was a nice, it was a nice mixture. You're able to do it remotely. Um, and then, you know, taking two weeks off is not, not too difficult to go down and to do the bulk of the, the lab and simulation. Yeah. yeah. I think we're seeing that more and more. I know we just had a guy, um, in Burlington that actually completed his paramedic program, like completely online and then went down for like a final boot camp testing yeah. type thing. Yep. Um, and that's Those types of things seem like they're getting more and more popular. I can't even think of a full-time paramedic program, you know, anywhere close to us that we're sending people to most of the time at a minimum, it's kind of that, you know, Vermont tech style where it's, you know, one day a week and then you have some online credits too. So. Yeah, this was nice, you know, back in, uh, you know, the early two thousands, they, they had started and it was kind of a proof of concept of their online format because they, and they really had to advocate for themselves and, that they could do it, that the education was going to be equivalent, if not better. Um, and you know, they they developed a really nice program where they were able to to do that and help help folks from around the world. They had 
you know, people from overseas that were still in the military that were getting their civilian paramedic, um, and then, you know, able to, to bridge over once they came home. It was really, it's a nice, nice setup. Yeah. That was something I had new exposure to the first time we ran a PHTLS class. I didn't realize that, you know, you have these military members overseas that are operating at essentially like a critical care level. And then the minute that they step off base and they put on civilian clothes, they're only certified as an EMT basic. Yeah. Super frustrating. That's gotta be such a tough transition to, you know, spend that much time overseas doing all that, you know, critical care medicine. And now like walk into college, looking at two years of work just to prove that you're where you are, which kind of sucks. So um, I heard a rumor that they're moving towards a national registry model. I was going to say, I heard the same thing. I think several years ago, they started incorporating that into their training program so that all of, and I, I could be wrong. I'm not, not a military expert by any means, but the, you know, the, the combat medic was going to carry over as a civilian paramedic too, which is, which is awesome for those guys. Cause they've got a, a huge wealth of experience and knowledge that, you know, we're, we're, hurt, we're shooting ourselves in the foot by not allowing them to practice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know one of the things that I always value too is one of my ambulance partners was a airborne ranger guy who did a bunch of deployments overseas. And I don't think I ever saw his heart rate get above like 70 beats a minute. Yeah. And it's yeah. just so, it's just so helpful to have someone with you like that who can just, just be calm, you know, even if they're, you know, maybe not the most technically skilled, but if they can just remain nice and calm and just kind of set that pace for the crew, that can be super helpful. Yeah. It's nice to have that for sure. For sure. So you, you get your paramedic. Um, I think if I remember correctly, when we were kind of crossing paths at Colchester, you were just either finishing up your first few years as a paramedic and you're starting to kind of move towards the next step. What was uh, the catalyst for that? Yeah. So I'm trying to remember the time frame. Um, I know I was, I was working in the emergency department as a ER tech for a number of years when I started my paramedic program. I was also uh, at Richmond, I think, at the time when I started it. Um, and we kind of helped get their paramedic um, licensure set up, which was which was fun to do out there. Um, yeah, and then started at Colchester. Um, my fiance at the time got into nursing school out in New York. And so we ended up uh, moving out to Western New York for a number of years. Um, and I started working, uh, for AMR in the city of Rochester, kind of, you know, inner city, 911 EMS, which is extremely different than Vermont EMS. <laughs> yeah. Essentially yeah. just, you, you kind of start over. Yeah. So it was, it was sure. a really interesting feeling, you know, having a number of years of EMS experience, but feeling completely brand new, yeah. uh, just completely out of my element. And, um, it was, it was a really interesting experience. And I think that's, that helped me grow a lot as a provider, just seeing a completely different way of doing things, you know, different, different, uh, geography, different culture, even, um, it was quite, quite the experience. Yeah. yeah I think we, our joke, uh, when people are coming off probation is we kind of talk about it as like, uh, the whiplash, you know, experience yeah, because we sure. have a lot of people that come in and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, I did like 10 years on Heartwick Rescue. You know, I was a great EMT driver. And you're like, oh, great, man. That sounds good. Uh, you know, how many calls a year do you do? It'd be like, ah, oh, 200, 250. Um, and then they do 200 their first month on the ambulance in Burlington. And they're like, oh, oh my goodness. It's a big wake like, up call. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that, uh, that can definitely be tough for people who aren't used to that. And that kind of, once you get in the rhythm, it's not bad. I think the biggest struggle for me was, you know, when I was on Williston and Colchester, 
for the most part, most people you went to had some sort of like discernible medical problem. And most of them were relatively serious. Even if it was just COPD with oxygen or something like that, you know, you were showing up, something was wrong and you were providing some sort of intervention, you know, and, and where I work now, and I'm sure you remember from your days in Rochester, sometimes, you know, you're going to get called and the need is transport. That's, that's what it is. You know, it's like, well, I missed the bus and the next bus is in an hour and I have an appointment for this and that. And, you know, and, um, you know, we definitely have our people that we see, you know, and you're like, Hey bro, what's going on, man today? Up, same thing. Okay. No problem. We'll get you up there. Sure. I think the, the big challenge for me is always staying sharp because we just had a situation, you know, like six months ago, guy we see all the time for the same exact thing. Nothing really ever going on there. They slapped the old EKG on to check that box. And it was like, Big old STEMI. And you're yeah. like, oh, well, I guess everybody gets sick. And it's just not getting complacent and missing those. Yeah. You know, it's like the one out of 100, but we're yep. paid to check 100 out of 100. So you just got to kind of keep your feet moving and make it happen. Yeah, we had the same thing. You know, frequent flyers calling three, four times a day sometimes yeah. for, you know, just just the company, just, the, just to, you know, get through the day. Yeah. And, you know, it's always we had discussions amongst ourselves. We're like, we can't not take this seriously every time because yeah. it's gonna you know everybody dies eventually yeah you know and you don't want to be that person that uh you know just wrote it off that one time that this person was super sick for real you know yeah and i always equate it to like in my head i always say like i'm kind of like a tsa agent like my job is to sit there and just check passports do my job run through the checklist make sure everyone's good to go and you know how would you feel if you went to the airport and that guy was like uh, it's probably fine. It looks, it's fine. Yeah. You know, and like, just didn't check. Like, it was just like, I saw a hundred passports in the last hour and I'm sure this one's fine. Like, you know right, what I mean? Yeah. What and are the chances? Yeah. Right. And for us, it's, it's, I, I take too much pride in my work to not do it. And one of my most entertaining experiences was one of my partners was incredibly talented EMS and had like borderline OCD about how good of a job he did, but he didn't like EMS, which was really interesting to watch because he wasn't happy, but he had too much. He like, couldn't not do the right thing. Yeah. You know, so he'd get the same patient for like the third or fourth time that day. And be like, oh, okay, well I got to do a 12 lead. And he would like catch it and be like, oh, he's having a huge heart attack. I better call up to the hospital. Like, yeah. and he just like disgruntled, but he was so good at his job. He'd always show up like 18 gauge IV, like, you know, 324 of aspirin, 0.4 nitro. Like he just, he did every single thing every single time, but he was kind of disgruntled about it. And it was <laughs> such an interesting, like juxtaposition that sure. he was so good at EMS, but like didn't like EMS. And that was just a really interesting partner to have. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was really cool. Um, what was the setup in Rochester? Was it double medic, medic, basic? Yeah, we had um, a kind of a mixture. We had a, most of our trucks were basic trucks, um, dual basic providers. And then we had um, maybe a quarter or half would be one paramedic, one EMT. Pretty rare that we would run double medic. Um, and then we were system status management. So we were you know posted all throughout the city, different posts throughout the day. Um, really only went back to base to restock if you had, you know, a cardiac arrest or some big trauma or something like that. Otherwise you're, you know, basically carrying everything with you for the whole day. Um, and then returning it hopefully at the end of your shift. Yeah. Usually it was three or four hours after your off going time that you ended up getting back. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, again, totally different way of doing things than, than rural Vermont. Um, you know, not better or worse, just, just different. So, um, 
and then we also had uh, we had a fly car system too. So you might have a couple paramedics on fly cars that were just bound, literally just driving from one call to the other all around the city during the day. So nice, that's cool. Yeah. Did you have a, like a tiered response with like Rochester Fire or anything where they'd show up and give you hands if you needed it or? Yeah, for cardiac arrests, we would always get uh, at least an engine, um, and then you know the traumas or MVCs. But of course, we we get fire as well. Um, and it was, you know, it's an interesting dynamic cause we don't really work with the fire department that closely. Um, but when, you know, when, when we were on scenes with them, you know, you didn't know these guys personally, but you knew them professionally and like everybody worked really well together, which yeah. is, which is nice to have, you know, it's always, you could always rest easy knowing that these guys were super professional and you know, anything that you needed, they would just do it for you, yeah. which was great. Yeah. I know. I, I always love, uh, my experiences with fire companies and tiered response. And, yeah. you know, I remember, you know, somewhere like Colchester, you know, you would show up and you, the same type of relationship, you kind of know of them, but it's not like you're doing that many. You maybe do like one joint training a year, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of run across them, you know, and I remember one cardiac arrest I had and, you know, they had, uh, you know, we're trying to get the patient out and, uh, like, I was, Oh, what do you need? And I'm like, uh, I need this couch to not be here. Yeah. And I like turn around the whole room. is like yep, completely done. up against the wall. Yep. He's like, dude, I do good. I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's great, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. And like, they just want to help. And it's just yeah. cool to, to have that relationship. Yeah. So what was the schedule like when you were at AMR? Oh, it was awful. Uh, <laughs> I think I was doing like 10 AM to 10 PM. Um, uh, for a while, I think I was doing 16 hour shifts, um, like, you know, up to like two in the morning. Um, and then, you know, we would have kind of rotating trucks throughout the day, you know, at any, at, at our busiest, we would have maybe upwards of 25 or 30 trucks on the road. Um, yeah. And, you know, night shift, very different dynamic than day shift as it is with, with everywhere else. But, uh, yeah, I think I was doing, you know, four to five shifts a week, like a typical EMS, uh, career person so that is yeah. a lot yeah yeah and uh what's the situation with the hospital there's level one level two multiple centers yeah we had multiple so we had two level one traumas in the city um and then uh two other kind of tertiary hospitals um and then our main hospital was a university center so that was you know that was really where you took all of the sick hearts and um yeah and other you know critical care type calls you would take to that, that location, you know, the university of Rochester there. Yep. So you, you do your stuff in Rochester. What's yep. next? What's the next step? Yeah. I, I've always gotten bored, uh, with my own education and kind of the status quo. I'm always reaching for the next thing. It's, uh, sometimes frustrating to not be satisfied, yeah. <laughs> satisfied with where you're, where you're at in your career. Um, so I ended up getting involved in critical care, AMR had a ground critical care system. So we would do, um, ECMO, Impella, balloon pump transfers from, uh, Syracuse and Buffalo, um, back to, to the university of Rochester with the, with the cardiac team there. Um, in addition to NICUs and things like that. So I, that interested me, um, that kind of extra level, that higher level of medicine. So I ended up doing a, uh, critical care, the, uh, critical care paramedic course, uh, through UMBC, they were holding it at one of the community colleges out there. So I did that. And, you know, it's interesting when you're in medicine and you know that there's things that you don't know, but again, you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. getting involved in that, 
just really opened my eyes to the possibilities that, uh, you know, we had as paramedics and myself personally. And I really just dove right into that aspect of things. Um, it was a nice, nice movement to, to kind of get that extra education and push, push me to, to move to the next level, which was nice. So, yeah, no, I yeah. definitely, I definitely feel you on that. Um, I can totally relate to kind of yeah. that next step. You know, I kind of, sometimes I feel like I'm trapped in a video game and I, I get that level and I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. I'm like what's, what's that next? What's level? next? Is that, yeah. is that like, is that the big bot? No, oh, totally. Yeah. And I, um, I got a big kick out of it too. And I agree with the, you know, critical care and flight paramedic stuff. I think if anyone is out there and you're, you're a paramedic and you feel like you're kind of just going through the mundane, um, I would definitely recommend at least, uh, you know, taking a course and just, just seeing, just dip yourself in there. It's great information to have, um, you know, and worst case scenario, you get some perspective on some stuff that you didn't know before, uh, especially for people like us where we're doing those, you know, those weird ambulance transfers from the helipad to the hospital that we have to do uniquely in um, UVM because they don't want to land the helicopter <laughs> near UVM. Um, so just knowing what's going on, you know, and uh, as much as they may seem a little disgruntled, I've definitely worked with some really, really good flight providers that just love the fact that you're asking questions and you're thinking. Yeah. And um, and I love being around people like that too. The other thing that I think is really cool about um, that critical care and flight paramedic medicine is when you're going through those programs, for the most part, pretty much everybody that's in those programs is like you, like they're interested in they're because they wouldn't take it if they weren't, right. yeah. you know, especially, you know, they want to get a job or they're interested or they're growing. Um, and for me, that was, that was a huge um, bonus for me, obviously being in the same environment, you kind of get the same ideas all the time. And there's definitely people I work with that are just comfortable doing what they're doing and yeah. that's what they do. You know, like, okay, you have like, you know, VTAC, all right, I'm going to give a lot of can or whatever, sure. like they have their playbook and that's what they do. And it is what it is. Um, and what I really liked about critical care is it was like just this concept of like, well, why, well, yeah. why, well, why? And I'm like, oh, I love Just this. digging deeper yeah. and digging deeper. Yeah. Until you're like, you know, you're talking about like the acid-based balance equation. You're like, Krebs cycle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They just hand out the ice packs <laughs> at the beginning of the lecture for your brain. Exactly. Yeah. Which I, I love that environment. I yeah. think that's so cool. Um, yeah. And it's awesome. So, and yeah. it just gives you a little more of a vocabulary and knowledge base to talk with, yep. you know, with the doctors and the nurses and you, know, you go up to the ICU and you can actually like understand what it is that they're doing to your patient, which I think is really, really helpful. Um, we have some people who are precepting under me right now as a paramedic. And one thing I always try to instill in them is you should have a either know or have a rough idea of what happened to your patient every time you deal with them. Yeah. You know, don't be that guy that just drops them off. Is like, Oh, they weren't good. And then just goes home. Like, why were they gray? Like, why did they have such a bad blood pressure? Why were they not breathing? Well, like not, you know, just come up with a reason because now you can create this huge archive of patients in your head. And every time you see another patient like that, you can pull that folder out and read through what you did and what worked and what didn't work. And you can grow, yep. you know, rather than just putting, you know, names and date of births in a computer. Sure. Yeah. So I remember years ago and I, I, you know, can't remember who it was, but it was either, you know, in my EMT class or advanced EMT class. One of the things that someone told me that really stuck with me, you know, you, you, you pick up your patient, you do your interventions, you bring them to the hospital, to the ER whatever they do in the ER in the first five minutes, you should have done on the ambulance, you know? And most times it's, it's stuff that's out of our scope, you know, you know, putting a chest tube in finger thoracotomy, you know, uh, cardioversion, things like that. But if you can get that inside your scope 
you know, if you can get that education so that you can do those things. And that, that really stuck with me. So, you know, whenever I would see, bring a patient in super sick and, you know, you sit, you, you, you watch all of the, the team working, all the interventions, um, you know, you want to, you want to boost your education up so that you can do all those things. And that was a huge push for me is, is watching all those, uh, you know, high skilled providers work. And it was, it was something else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I've talked about it on the show before about um, just those patients you have when you're an EMT or an AEMT and you're looking at them and you're like, oh man, I wish I could do more. And I just, I knew personally, I never wanted to feel like that again. I didn't want to ever be in front of someone that needed an intubation and I couldn't do it. Not because there wasn't equipment on the truck, because there was, and not because I didn't know what needed to be done, because I did, but because I didn't have the right, you know, series of letters on my card. Right. And so now one of the things I take a lot of pride in is I had my boss, Lieutenant Plouffe on the show. And we talked about how, like, if we go to someone who's really critically ill and I walk in there and I start taking care of them, he can confidently and accurately say, there's no one better to take care of him right now than this person. They have the highest, anything that can be done will be done, you know? And, um, I love the fact that I get to show up on the ambulance and everything I need is right there. I can use every single piece of equipment on the truck, every medication, I, you know, and, and having that extra basis of critical care and flight paramedicine stuff is yeah. really helpful because, you know, there may be patients that I show up to and I know that what they need is a higher level intervention. Yeah. And sometimes that changes how I treat them. You know, if it's someone, you know, like if uh, someone who's profoundly anemic, you know, and I'm not going to sit there and, you know, bolus them with a ton of fluids and do all these other things because yeah. honestly what they need is blood and I don't carry blood and I know that. Yeah. So that might be the type of patient where it's like, let's get them to the level one trauma center that's three miles away right. rather than sit here for 25 minutes trying to get six different IVs and all of a sudden you have an A that put like a 22 gauge in, which you can't even throw, you know, put blood through. Sure. Like things yeah. like that. I think that type of knowledge, if you are doing this um, either frequently or professionally, or you love it, why would you not get the most knowledge you possibly can? Because yeah. knowledge is power. For sure. You know? Yep. So that's a big deal for me. Yeah. I remember years ago, uh, before district three had paramedicine, this was like right before one of the, there was a Burlington truck that had a cardiac arrest with a choking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the paramedic was so frustrated because oh, yeah. they, you know, yeah. he, he was working as a, as a advanced EMT cause he could not work as a medic, yeah. you know, and knowing exactly what needed to be done and not being able to do that, uh, yeah. was super frustrating for him. Um, you know, and it's what, it's nice to have not only as, as a, you know, as an individual increase your education, your skill level, but also as a system too. And it was, so it was nice, you know, finally having district three move to the paramedic model as well to have all of that, inter- all those extra interventions um, yeah. was great. Yeah. Yeah. Actually in that, you know, it should be said too, that that paramedic had like 20 years of experience yeah. in multiple big urban fire departments from across the country. Like I wasn't like some guy that just got it. Like, exactly. And that's gotta be, that's gotta be so tough, yeah. you know, um, for sure. And I, I've told the story before, I think on one of the episodes in the past, they're all blurring together, but um, of uh, I had a seizing little kid, a two-year-old stuck in status. And I called Gary at the comp center. Yeah. If you remember Gary. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, Gary, man, I got this seizing two-year-old. Like, give me a paramedic. And he was literally said, nobody's working. See you soon. Drive fast. And just hung up the phone. <laughs> and I was like, oh man. And I can't imagine, you know, working in a system without paramedicine so readily available yeah. and calls like that really imprinted on me to the point where it's like, 
I never want to look at this seasoned kid with this mom and have an easily fixable problem. Like there was a verse at right in the vault, right yeah. next to me, but I couldn't access it because right. I wasn't qualified at that level. And I just, I really take a lot of pride and solace in the fact that I don't ever have to be like that again for the most part, you know, sure. there's still stuff that I'm not going to be able to, you know, accomplish, um, you know, in the field because it may be physician level or critical care nurse level or something like that. Um, but moving on to your next phase of your career, that's one of the beautiful benefits of having like a nurse and a paramedic on a crew, right? Yeah, totally. Yep. Um, and that was one of the things that, that drew me to critical care to begin with was you had that team mentality, you know, you weren't a medic by yourself in the back of a rig with, you know, a super sick patient. You're, you're always with, uh, you know, someone who's either at your level or higher that you can learn from that you can bounce ideas off of. You know, I, I don't think that critical care medicine is ever, was ever designed to be done by a single provider. You know, no. it's just not, it's not how it, how it works in the hospital or should it work like that pre-hospitally. So having that type of, um, have that type of a team really not only does it help you grow personally, but it also gives you a little bit of comfort too, knowing that you have another, um, another, you know, equally licensed provider that you can bounce ideas off of and discuss the situation. Um, and when I, so when I was taking the critical care class, um, the educator that was there that was teaching that program was, um, the educator for mercy flight central out in New York. And, and he, you know, I hadn't even really thought about flight, um, growing up in Vermont, we didn't have the option. It was, you know, you, you looked at the dart helicopter when it landed at UVM every once in a while with, with awe and amazement, but you know, it was always out of reach. It was never, you know, never really kind of considered it as a possibility. And so, um, this, you know, this, uh, our, our instructor really kind of put that bug in my head of like, Hey, well, if you, if you want to do critical, critical care at the highest level, he's like, you need to get in, you need to think about getting into flight. Um, and so I never really had considered that before, but you know, he's got me set up with a ride along, um, down there. And then they asked me to ask me to apply, asked me to interview. Um, and you know, the, went through the whole testing process, the, the interview process, which is fairly rigorous. Um, and then, uh, you know, ended up getting a job there. So then that kind of just started the ball rolling on the next phase of the career. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that really attracted me to the critical care and the flight paramedic stuff was, um, just that challenge and knowing that I'd be surrounded by people who are kind of like-minded and are looking to really go above and beyond. Um, and I really enjoy being the dumbest person in the room as, as weird as that sounds, because there's a certain comfort to that. Yeah. Because, because it, it always gives me a direction to go is up like it. That's the only direction to go. And if I'm in a room with a bunch of people that, you know, maybe don't care as much about what we're talking about or don't have any interest in progressing, I'm not going to really move anywhere because there's no one to really help me, you know, no footholds to work my way up. Sure. And I love being in a room with people who are really, really smart and make me look stupid because then I can grow and try to be like them. Um, and when I was reading my textbooks before I actually took the course, I remember I um, read the Nurses Transport Association book that you're required to read. And like one of the first lines was like the Flight paramedic is the apex of the pre-hospital provider. And I was like, man, I want that. I want yeah. to be the apex. Like, and that's just my whole, like, if you had to put a thesis statement to my EMS career, I just want to be the apex because yeah. I just, I love it. I just want to get as good as I can possibly be and be around people that share that same mission and yeah. value. And, um, and, you know, so you, you start working at main life flight and then, uh, 
what's next? Yeah. I, you know, and I'd always back when I had started my paramedic program, I had always tried to, I was bouncing around. Should I do the RN route? Should I do the paramedic route? Should I do the RN route? Should I do the paramedic route? It was, it was a multi-year, uh, you know, inner battle in my mind. Ended up doing the paramedic route, obviously. Um, but I think there's, there's a whole other side of, of medicine that, that you're missing without having that nursing knowledge. And I think working with nurses daily, you know, and on every single shift really emphasized in my mind, that's that I wanted to get that education too. Um, you know, just having that, it's like a PC and Mac type, type of, you know, mentality. Like yeah. you're doing the same thing, just in totally different ways and understanding the background and the, you know, the, the fundamentals behind it, um, you know, really, really puts all the pieces together. A lot of times things that just kind of are, are a little hazy and foggy really become a lot more clear when you have that nursing background. So I really wanted to do that. So when I was in New York, I started doing prereqs for nursing school, started looking at, um, you know, options for schooling. I've, I've never been a huge fan of in-person learning, uh, <laughs> whether that's, you know, in, in high school or, or even, you know, classes taking, taken later on in life. So I was looking for an online nursing school and there wasn't too many options. Um, I, you know, I found a, there was a school in Kansas that has a, has a paramedic to RN bridge program, uh, for relatively, uh, not a lot of money. Um, and it was very similar to the paramedic program that I took where you would go down for skills, you know, once a month or every couple months. Um, and while I was looking into that program, we ended up moving to Maine, uh, and you know, the community college options were pretty robust around here. So, uh, they also had a bridge program as well at the, the college that's associated with our, with our, uh, hospital. And so, you know, it, it seemed like a really obvious transition to make is to kind of do that program three semesters, uh, you know, one year of kind of an intense, um, bridged bridge over to nursing. So we, we jumped in after our summer semester, we jump in with the, with the second year nursing students, and do our clinicals and uh, practicum and yeah, just, just graduated several weeks ago, in fact. So nice. Congrats. Yeah. That's Thank awesome. You. Yeah. That's excited. Um, yeah. And that's, that's super cool. And it just speaks kind of to that same mantra that we've been talking about the whole podcast of just what's next and why would you not be able to get that perspective if you could? That's awesome. Like yeah, that makes a ton of sense, sure. yeah. you know, and having the flexibility to do both sides. I know, you know, in a lot of my programs, I talk a lot about how the flight paramedics kind of the scene based provider has a lot of experience in 911 and scene control and initial assessment and, you know, patient designation work. Um, and the nurse is kind of the walking encyclopedia of everything hospital, yeah. every medicine, every doctor, every test, every radiograph, you know, and, um, you know, obviously I live with a nurse too. So we sure. talk a lot about stuff and, you know, it's, it's, a uh, it's interesting how, you know, some of the scene pieces are yeah. different. Um, and there's stuff in the hospital. She talks about like, it's common sense that I have no idea about, you know, right. are they going to IRCTs, Demi back? Um, <laughs> what, what yeah. are you talking about? Like, I, I don't know if they have a heart attack or not. Just yeah, tell me, exactly. you know, so that's really interesting, but Cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks yeah, for being here. We're absolutely. Gonna, we're going to sign off because the old helicopter's coming back. And absolutely. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> um, any last parting words of wisdom for people coming up through the ranks in your time in the field? 
Yeah. I, you know, I, I think back on my EMS career, I think it's been 17 years, which I don't understand how it could be that long, yeah. but, but yet here we are. Um, you know, I, I never, when I first started as a, you know, volunteer firefighter, uh, first response EMT, and I never thought that I would get to this point in my career. I think it's important, you know, if you're just getting out of high school, if you're still in high school, you know, don't count it out. Um, there, everything is reachable with the right amount of motivation and, and, uh, maybe a little bit of luck and good circumstances. Um, but you know, you know, you see, you know, physicians in the hospital, in the ER, when you're, when you're dropping patients off, you're seeing the flight, flight providers, you're seeing the, the ER nurses or ICU nurses, you know, all of that is reachable. Um, and those folks were just where you were, you know, 10 years ago. So don't count it out. I think it's a great career path that, you know, some people I think maybe write off because they think it's not achievable, but it is, it's completely achievable. Oh, so for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good words of wisdom. Well, thanks, Luke. Yeah. Thank you.